Hitchhiking is definitely something that can go awry at any moment. You have to put your trust into complete strangers to try to get from point A to point B. And oftentimes, these stories go from just chilling to very bad very quickly. Welcome back to The Swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today, I'm going to be sharing some stories from viewers just like you who have had some not-so-great times while hitchhiking. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. Why You Shouldn't Hitchhike by Hawthorne R.P. So before I begin my story, I should mention that I had an unorthodox childhood with my mother. My mother had a crippling drug addiction, and I struggled with homelessness most of my life. She often blamed her shortcomings on me because I was diagnosed with cancer very young. Luckily, I've been in remission long enough and technically considered cured. I have been cancer-free most of my life at this point. It took until my teenage years for me to get tracked down and taken out of her custody. I met my biological father briefly for three years, but he shortly died of a terminal illness I knew about when he adopted me. So, traveling and hitchhiking have always been prevalent in my life. So with my father recently deceased after my 18th birthday and the lack of education in my childhood, I found myself back on the road, hitchhiking once again. It was very tough, and I do not recommend it to anybody. My knowledge of hitchhiking comes out of necessity, and there is more danger than romance. I ended up making some friends with some Native American teenagers that were around my age at the time. After hanging out with them and their folks, they allowed me to stay in his bedroom in this abandoned house on the edge of their property. Even though it was very worn down, and you could tell the property was not very much lived in, I wish I could remember exactly where it was but it was somewhere between Arizona and Nevada. It was enough for me. You walk into this rundown small house with a dirt floor and immediately get this overwhelming feeling of love and happiness. The room was full of beer cans, graphic novels, battery-powered radio and CD players, chairs, and remnants of past good times. I remember one of the other native people I was friends with had a chihuahua that was yippy and immediately calmed down as soon as he, as soon as it entered the house. I mean, the moment it walked in, it would stop. It was kind of creepy. We would get stoned, talk, and have a great time. I remember having a strange dream that first night, though. I cannot tell you what it was, besides that it was somewhat pleasant, but it almost felt like I was looking into the future for a moment. When I woke up, these elongated dog tracks pressed deeply into the floor like paws were... Or they were noticeable and they were an impossibly big size. They made a complete circle around my sleeping bag. Whatever it was, left a ring with a deer carved into the metal that wasn't there before. There is nothing impressive about the ring besides that it looks incredibly old. The handmade metal that it was made of was quite heavy, and was definitely for a male hand. My friend insisted it was a gift from the house, and I kept it for many, many years. Still, after I received my gift, I had this intense urge to go back home to Portland, where I was born, so that's what I did. I hitchhiked all the way up there. There were many ups and downs, but it seemed like this oversized ring that I kept on a chain around my neck seemingly protected me from most of the bad things that went down. Eventually, though, I unfortunately did lose the ring at a hospital. I had some mild injuries after I got into a slight wreck after getting out of a car hitchhiking, 
and I, I can't remember what happened to it from there. But I know the story might seem anticlimactic, and maybe it's a little more wholesome than scary, but I hope you share this one with everyone. The Worst Night of My Life by Anonymous One of the worst nights of my life was in December 2013 and to put it bluntly and in as few words as possible a tough Christmas had been rough on my mental health and it went straight up from a shouting match to me just dipping out. I stormed out of our family home screaming profanities and swearing they'd never see me again. Yeah, I was definitely that pleasant teenager. Sure, I'd forgotten my phone and wallet, but I was too proud to return to get them. So, in my fit of only partially warranted rage, I somehow decided it would be a good idea to try to hitchhike to my friend's house so that I could stay the night there. I'd never actually hitchhiked before. I don't think I'd even held my thumb out for a cab at this point but I stood on a stretch of Florida highway trying to catch a passing driver's attention. To my surprise, someone pulled over rather quickly, and not the hippie bust rust bucket I had been visualizing either. It was one of those high-end Chevys, and I'm not sure what model it was, but the guy behind the wheel looked like he had quite a few dollars. He was the archetypal rich dad type with nothing to indicate that he was anything but friendly and well-meaning. Stop in. He calls out from the passenger window. I couldn't believe my luck. Not only was I about to hitchhike for the first time, which felt pretty cool, I'm not going to lie, but I was about to do it in style. So, I couldn't really tell the difference between a faux leather and the real deal, but when you're in an air-conditioned sedan with a new car smell at 17, who cares? I felt grown up as hell. So the guy asked me why I'm hitchhiking, and honestly, I may have given him a hopped-up version of events, which made me out to be quite the victim. Abusive parents, poor me, blah blah blah. Naturally, he took this as gospel and started telling me how his father was an alcoholic and how he sympathized with my situation. I asked him to take me as far down the road as he was possibly willing to do, because I had a friend about 30 minutes away. He says cool, and down the highway we go. As he's driving, we talk a lot more about family. He pops the glove box and boom, there's a picture of his kids. As I look at his little girls, he starts telling me how important he thinks family is, especially to those from the less than stable backgrounds. Then he said something that seemed entirely out of character. We're pulling into a gas station after he mentions needing to fill up, continuing to the family convo and segments if that makes any sense. He'll stop talking one minute because he needs to focus on a turn or a lane switch, and then he carries on. So it was almost out of nowhere when he said something like, We have to protect our families from our own true nature. I didn't know what to say at that moment, so I kind of just stayed quiet as he got out of the car and started filling up his tank. I had a few minutes to process those words, and the more I thought about them, the more I realized the hitchhiking might not have been such a good idea. When he returns after paying for the gas, there are quite a few moments as I'm still trying to figure out what he meant by his last little statement. So I just asked. I straight up asked him what he meant by it. It'll be easier if I show you. You ever wondered what it would feel like to tuck and roll out of a moving vehicle? Have you ever tried to imagine it because you're about to do it and you're pretty sure it'd kill you at the speed you're traveling? Probably not. I hadn't until that moment right then and there. 
but somehow I convinced myself I was just being overly dramatic. So I stayed in the car. I didn't even ask for him to pull over or anything. Jesus, looking back at it, I wasn't sure what was going through my head at all. Just that I didn't want to be around this guy anymore. He had gone from friendly and average to moody and creepy at light speed. You know, everyone has secrets. He said after pulling into a dark commercial lot shutting the engine off. So I imagine that line spoken as creepily as you can imagine meant that I was probably in big freaking trouble. I tried to keep my tone polite so I wouldn't freak this guy out or make him mad, but then he started freaking out. He showed me pictures of his kids, mentioned his wife, and even complained about his in-laws were not nice to him. I knew this guy was a predator at this point. He saw someone vulnerable, who had a rough childhood or family background, and saw someone he could manipulate. It was the look in his eyes, not this weak, I, I like you look, but it was like hunger. The way he wanted I could only describe it was like excitement for a feast. That's when he said something weird, because he put his hand on me. I can't remember exactly what he was saying, because at that moment I tuned everything out and absolutely went numb. The moment he put his hand on my thigh, I froze up like a deer in the headlights. I knew this could be a very bad moment. He slid his hand farther up my thigh, and after this, I'm not even really sure what happened next. I just remember slamming my fist into the glass window, and it popping all over me. I know I must have gotten the door open somehow too, because after some time, the headlights were behind me and I was running down the road. The predator that this guy was, was, was terrifying, and apparently he had a gun under his seat. I saw him pull it out and raise the gun toward me. Luckily, I don't think he ever shot, because I'm still here today, but I ran and ran and ran until I found the nearest place with the payphone and called my parents. I never hitchhiked after that, and I learned a very valuable lesson that night. The Dangers of Hitchhiking by Sarah's Closet I am now a 39-year-old female. And many, many moons ago, sometime between the ages of 15 and 17, when it was still the 90s, another girl and I used to hitchhike cross-country. When we first went on our little adventure, it never even crossed our minds that we might one day need some form of weapon on us for self-defense. So it was a long time before we got one, and this is a story of two instances before that time when we would have been in much better positions if we had a weapon. The first one was in Pueblo, Colorado. We were sitting at a gas station contemplating walking up to the highway when the random guy told us that he couldn't take us anywhere, but if we were willing to cook, he'd take us home and feed us and let us shower, etc. While an offer like this may be a red flag for most people, this was well into our time hitchhiking and relatively common. We discovered that the people that didn't converse much were the ones we should usually be worried about. This guy didn't say hardly anything the entire way there and there was deep into the wilderness in the middle of the mountains. If you're familiar with Pueblo, you know the hills are far from there. So we were already getting the creeps just knowing how far from civilization we were headed. We finally get there and the guy is giving us both a weird feeling and we're not okay with this. We agree it isn't a good idea to stay. So less than five minutes after arriving at this middle of nowhere cabin in the woods, we tell him we've changed our minds and want to leave. He seems genuinely irritated but agrees to take us back after some back and forth convincing. By this time, we have no clue where we are or in which direction, and we are both getting pretty worried. 
and as we venture out into the woods again, we begin discussing with one another. The fact that it feels like it's taking longer to get back than it did to get there was really setting off alarms. We both start wondering if we are going back or maybe we're going further into the wilderness. And to make it even worse, we have not spotted even one other passing vehicle this entire time. Nobody was heading in the direction that we were. So now the conversation is going towards what we might do if he's leading us further into the woods. We both agree that since there are two of us and only one of him, even if we are both beginning to panic and sweat, we can probably wait this out or take him if it needs be. Although this was still over 20 years ago, it feels like it took twice as long to return as it did to make it there. We did eventually make it back to the gas station we started at. He let us out, and we went on our way. The second instance was just outside of Sacramento, California. We had been traveling with a big fat trucker who was not conversational at all. Even as much as we tried prompting him to talk to us, he had little or nothing to say. We had been traveling in his truck for a few hours and we both had fallen asleep. Until my travel companion abruptly awakened me, the car had stopped on the side of the highway and my friend was adamant about us exiting the vehicle immediately. So I asked her what was wrong and she told me that she had been wakened by the truck driver feeling her breasts in her sleep. She said his exact words were, After all I've done for you, you can't even let me cop a feel. So we got out of the truck, literally ran on the side of the highway, somewhere near Sacramento, but we walked away unharmed and almost entirely unviolated. And amazingly enough, out of nearly three years of hitchhiking cross-country together, those were the only two times anything remotely scary happened to us, and it was the best time of my entire life still to this day. The Hitchhiker Murders by Anonymous Sonoma County, California is one of the most agriculturally productive areas in the entire country. It produces a massive amount of hops, grapes, prunes, apples, dairy, and poultry products every single year. This is down to the vast swaths of fertile land and the abundance of high-quality irrigation water. In addition to the vineyards and wineries that all call Sonoma home, one might mistake the county for being a little slice of paradise. But during the early 1970s, a series of horrifying events in the hills around Sonoma's largest city, Santa Rosa, would make this heavenly place seem more like a circle of hell. On February 4, 1972, two middle school friends were returning from a visit to the Redwood Empire Ice Arena. Maureen Luis Sterling and Yvonne Lisa Weber, 12 years old, were last seen around 9 p.m. hitchhiking on Guerneville Road, northwest of Santa Rosa. Neither of the girls arrived home that night. The parents begged local authorities to find their girls and find them they did. Their bodies were found December 28th, just a few miles north of Franz Valley. A single earring, orange beads, and a 14-karat gold necklace with a cross were found at the scene. The cause of death could not be determined from the skeletal remains. Then just a month later, 19-year-old student Kim Wendy Allen was given a ride by two men on the evening of March 4, 1972. They last saw her approximately 5.20 p.m., hitchhiking to school and carrying a large wooden soy barrel with red Chinese characters. Her body was found the following day down an embankment in a creek bed. The two men who gave her a ride one of whom was presented and passed a polygraph test, were ruled out as suspects. These hitchhiker murders were repeated as the years went by. 
but only a handful had a modus operandi that matched the previous murders. One in particular had an alarming additional detail that may shed some light on who the murderer or murderers were. Carolyn Nadine Davis, 14 years old, ran away from her home outside of Anderson in Shasta County on February 6, 1973, but disappeared on July 15th after being dropped off by her grandmother at the Garberville Post Office. She was last seen hitchhiking that afternoon near the highway in Garberville. Her body was discovered on July 31st, just meters from where the remains of Sterling and Weber had been found seven months prior. However, this time the cause of death would be determined. Coroners stated that it was an apparent cause of strychnine poisoning. 10 to 14 days before the body was discovered, a witchcraft symbol meaning carrier of spirits was found by her body. As was previously mentioned, an additional eight unsolved murders of female victims who had been linked to the unknown murderer and all happened to be hitchhikers. Yet, not a single conviction has ever been handed down in the connection with any of them. However, that doesn't mean there aren't a few prevailing theories on the murderer's true identity. Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Buono Jr., the Hillside Stranglers of Los Angeles, were seriously considered suspects. The Hillside Strangler murders began with the deaths of three sex workers who were found strangled and dumped naked on hillsides northeast of Los Angeles between October and early November 1977. It was not until the deaths of five young women who were not sex workers but girls who had been abducted from middle-class neighborhoods that the media attention and subsequent Hillside Strangler moniker became prominent. However, there was insufficient evidence linking Bianchi or Buono to the Sonoma County murders. So we must look elsewhere for conclusive proof. Another suspect in this case was Frederick Manali, a 41-year-old Santa Rosa Junior College creative writing instructor. In August of 1976, Manali was involved in a fatal head-on collision on Highway 12. As CHP officers cleared the scene, they discovered something alarming. In addition to a large amount of creative writing work Manali had in his possession, police found that the instructor cultivated another form of creative drawing. But these weren't uh, still life or landscape drawings, no. These were scenes depicting sadomasochistic acts committed by a young woman. Investigators were quickly able to identify the woman in question from the quality of the sketches. It was Kim Wendy Allen, the second victim in the series of murders. Yet, despite searches of Manali's home, investigators could not find a credible link between the sketches and the murders. Another suspect in this case was none other than the subject of a recent Netflix-made movie, Ted Bundy. After the prolific murderer's capture for similar crimes in Washington, Colorado, Utah, Florida, and Idaho, Ted Bundy was heavily suspected as the Sonoma County Hitchhiker Killer. The links between the naked bodies of the Sonoma victims and the extreme venereal nature of Bundy's crimes were obvious. It turned out that Bundy had apparently spent time in the neighboring Marin County, but was ruled out by a Sonoma County detective in the 1970s and again in the 1980s. This was down to detailed credit card records that reveal Bundy was up in the coast of Washington State on the dates of some of these disappearances. An additional suspect in the murders is another famous name, the Zodiac Killer. Investigators were forced to consider the Zodiac Killer as a possible perpetrator due to similarities between an unknown symbol on his January 29, 1974 exorcist letter to the San Francisco Chronicle, in which he claims 37 victims, and the Chinese characters on the missing soy barrel carried by Kim Allen. Also, the Zodiac had written a letter delivered to the San Francisco Chronicle on November 9, 1969. 
In it, he intended to vary his modus operandi to confuse detectives and evade capture. I shall no longer announce to anyone when I commit my murders, and they shall look like routine robberies, killings of anger, and a few fake accidents, etc. Naturally, the consideration of the Zodiac Killer leads us to one Arthur Lee Allen. Allen owned a mobile home at Sunset Trailer Park in Santa Rosa at the times of the murders. He was also fired from his Valley Springs Elementary School teaching position for suspected child molestation in 1968. Allen was arrested on September 27, 1974 by the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office and charged with child molestation in an unrelated case involving a young boy. He pleaded guilty on March 14, 1975, and was imprisoned at Ascadero State Hospital until late 1977. This would indeed match the period for some of the murders. What's more, Robert Graysmith, in his book Zodiac Unmasked, claims that a Sonoma County Sheriff revealed that chipmunk hairs were found on all of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker victims, and that Allen had been collecting and studying the same species. Since the bodies were dumped outdoors, it would be possible that a few chipmunk hairs might be present on one or two of them, but probably not all of them. Allen was the main suspect in the Zodiac case for over 30 years until his DNA was compared to a partial DNA profile obtained from saliva, recovered on the underside of a postage stamp and envelopes from verified Zodiac letters. Results were a conclusive non-match. Fingerprints and blood retrieved from the taxi cab of Zodiac murder victim Paul Stein, a writer's palm print found on the Zodiac letter of January 29, 1974, and handwriting examples failed to identify Allen as Zodiac. In practice, this evidence would have exonerated Allen should he have ever stood trial for the charges. So we are forced to look elsewhere for clues to the murderer's identity. But given that, almost 50 years later, each murder remains distinctly clear. Just who was murdering hitchhikers in the hills of Santa Rosa? An Unexplainable Hitchhiking Experience by Lucid Lotus Hey Swamp Dweller, my family has had some insane experiences with the supernatural. We are a family of women with psychic abilities and men that have just had some crazy, unexplainable occurrences. Today I wanted to share a story with you and your followers. Something that did not happen to me but to my uncle. He didn't use the internet often and didn't even know how to get his story out there, so I'm submitting it on his behalf. Without further ado, this story takes place in Canada, specifically on the outskirts of Thunder Bay in the year of 2003. My uncle has always been what most would call a drifter. He was seldom in one spot for too long and would get around by hitchhiking. Christmas of 2002 leading into January of 2003, my uncle had traveled from Regina to Ontario to spend the holidays with our family. We were all located in Ontario. As the holiday season passed, he returned to Regina in the most typical fashion, hitchhiking. He had an uneventful trip until he made it to Thunder Bay. He was dropped off by a transport trucker on a lonely highway outside of Thunder Bay as far as the trucker could take him. He had wandered further and further down the highway with rarely any vehicles passing. None willing to stop and give him a ride. It was between 2 and 3 a.m. and he was frozen and started to slow his pace and take a lot of breaks along the way. He ended up standing at one spot for quite some time to try to warm himself and conserve energy. 
It was under a street light, and his particular area was well lit. Suddenly, he heard branches snapping behind him in the tree line, about a half a football field length away. He chalked it up to a deer or a moose as the deep Canadian forest is full of wildlife that is quite active at night. He then heard what sounded like a groaning sound, muffled and almost sounded human, but not quite. He decided to continue walking and would speed up his pace between streetlights because he just had an eerie feeling something was wrong and he felt something in the pit of his stomach. He could hear whatever this was in the tree line following him as he moved, but it seemed to remain in the tree line. Branches cracked, and between cracks he could hear grunts and groans. Then it hit him. The grotesque smell of raw meat that had been baking in the sun mixed with that smell of sewage. He could see a moving figure that was almost white, with patchy fur. He had never been so afraid in his whole life. With no way to call for help, and the isolating feeling brought on by the realization that not a single vehicle had passed in hours, he felt helpless and feared for his life. He tried to keep moving. Faster and faster, the creature kept his pace and remained in the tree line, almost as if it was playing with him. He stopped as he approached the last light on the street. This stretch of highway did not have many more lights after this, and the ones that were after this didn't seemingly work. He felt the most fear he had ever felt in his life at this point. The streetlight's dim light was the only sense of safety he could grasp, and now, it was utterly gone. He turned to face the tree line and noticed that he couldn't see or hear anything, and thought the creature had maybe given up on him as prey. He almost sighed a breath of relief before hearing a branch snap directly in front of him. What came next has stuck with him. A shriek so loud and shrill that it made his entire body freeze up, rendering him in shock paralysis. Thankfully, headlights approached and came to a halt beside him. He hadn't even noticed the truck come near his way. He didn't even have the capacity to turn and try to catch a ride. He was still paralyzed with fear. It was a lovely man in a large black jeep. The gentleman screamed at my uncle to get in the vehicle. He did not protest and jumped right in. Naturally, not his first instinct as he prefers to get a feel for the person before just jumping in a car. But the man had a tone of urgency and fear and my uncle didn't want to be a meal for whatever the hell that creature was. As soon as my uncle jumped into the jeep, the man sped off and then parked about 20 minutes up the road and explained to my uncle what he had seen when he was approaching him on the highway. My uncle was grateful to the man. Whatever he had seen, based on the description in my uncle's in-depth research of cryptids following this experience, they all believe that it may have been some sort of wendigo or something of that nature. I'm just glad he wasn't a victim of a Wendigo attack. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true hitchhiking horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's very helpful to the swamp to grow. If you're new, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications as I upload brand new videos nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you'd like to share in a future episode, be sure to send it in at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you made it all the way to the end, I would love to know what story tonight was your favorite. Be sure to comment that down below, it helps me pick out better stories in the future. 
If you made it to the end, today's code word is spinning cactus. Be sure to comment that down below to confuse anybody who doesn't make it to the end. The funniest comment will be pinned at the top. I enjoy seeing your funny comments and they always make me laugh. Thank you guys so much for supporting the swamp the way you do. I'll see you all very soon with another creepy episode. Oh yeah, I almost forgot to mention. You can download and bring your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Stories no matter where you are, absolutely free. You can download them from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and pretty much everywhere else you find your podcast online.